Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. Last time, we were continuing our study of the book of Revelation in chapter 20, where Satan is released from the bottomless pit following the millennium. At this time, he will continue to deceive the nations. John made the statement, people don't change unless they want to change and they know how to change. He observed that neither punishment nor time can change a person. Now John continues his message, why some people never change, with his third observation. Environment doesn't change a person. Sometimes we think, well, if we could just get our kids in a better environment. Well, I would say, if you're a parent, put your kids in the best environments you can find. But just because you put your kids in a good environment, that's no guarantee that your kids are going to turn out right. Environment itself doesn't change a person. Now, we just read that during this time, after Satan is released from the bottomless pit, he's going to go out and deceive the nations of the earth. He's going to deceive people who are living on the earth. Here's the question. Who is he deceiving? I mean, last week we were talking about the millennium and all these saints from the Old Testament, saints from the New Testament, people who had been beheaded after they got saved during the tribulation. This is who's going to be in the millennium. Well, who... He's not going to, the devil's not going to deceive Abraham. He's not going to deceive Isaac or David. He's not going to deceive Peter or Paul. He's not going to deceive you or me. Who will the devil deceive? Now, that's a very good question, and it's a very deep question, and I want to try to answer that question as simply as I can. Apparently, at the beginning of the millennium, I mean, after the, the rain begins, Everybody on the earth will be saved. I'm going to come back and deal with that more clearly, but let's just for now say everybody at the beginning of the millennium is saved. Now, who is in the, who, who are these people? You have people who were the people of God in Old Testament times, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They died. By the time the millennium starts, their bodies will have been resurrected. There they are in, uh, back on the earth in their resurrected bodies. Not only will they be there, New Testament Christians will be there. From Bible times, from the last 2,000 years, you and me. There will be with Jesus in Jerusalem in our new resurrected bodies. Not only that, tribulation saints will be there. Those who were saved during the seven-year period of tribulation and were beheaded or in some way killed or died... Uh, maybe they weren't here, but they died, their bodies will have been resurrected, and there they'll be in Jerusalem. And so think about this. Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, tribulation saints, on the earth in resurrection bodies. Now, use your brain here. You know enough of the Bible to know this. Once we're in our resurrected bodies, we will not be able to procreate. In other words, people in resurrected bodies, the Bible says there's no marriage in heaven. Well, no, there's not. People aren't going to be married in heaven. And what's the implication? The implication is people aren't going to be having kids in heaven. You can't have kids once you're in a resurrected body. You're out of your physical body. You're now in a body similar to that of an angel. You can't have kids. But during the millennium, When the millennium begins, there will be people who got saved during the tribulation, 
Somehow, they did not die. By the grace of God, they lived through it. And so when the millennium starts, there they'll be on the earth in their physical bodies. They're saved, but they don't have a resurrected body because they haven't died. So they will enter the millennium in a physical body. And since they're in their physical bodies, many of them will be married, they will be able to have children. And so shortly after the millennium begins, babies will start being born on the earth. Think about it. A thousand years is how long the millennium will last. Did you know that in a thousand years, there could be 30 to 40 generations of people born? And many of those born during the millennium will never get saved. Their parents were saved, their grandparents were saved, their great-grandparents were saved, but here we are 20 or 30 generations later, and many of those people will not be saved. And so when the Bible says that when Satan is released from the abyss, he's going to go out and deceive the people who are on the earth, that's who he'll be deceiving. He can't deceive us. We're in our resurrected bodies. We're in a state now where it is impossible for us to sin. But those who have been born into the millennium in their physical bodies can be deceived. Many of them will be deceived, and that's who it's referring to here. In fact, go back in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 9. It says, they went out, uh, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And so the devil... In fact, you look at the end of verse 8 again, it says, he will gather them, that is, those who have been deceived, people born during the millennium who never got saved, he will gather them to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And so all these people now will come to Jerusalem, surround the city to declare war against God and war against his people, and God's going to send fire down from heaven and God's going to destroy them. Environment itself doesn't change a person. Think about Adam and Eve. They lived in a perfect environment there in the Garden of Eden, and yet they sinned. So environment doesn't change a person. Fourth thing I would say is this. Education doesn't change a person. Now, let me give you a verse. We looked at it last week, but in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9, it says that during the millennium, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that an interesting phrase, as the waters cover the sea? How do waters cover the sea? I thought the sea is all waters. Well, it is. So when it says, as the, as the waters cover the sea, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, what does it mean? It means that during the millennium, everybody will have perfect knowledge of God, perfect knowledge of truth, perfect knowledge of what is right and, and what is wrong. And so there will be no shortage of knowledge at this point in, in future history. And it says to me that education doesn't change a person. It doesn't. I mean, education is important. We should all, whether it's formally or informally, learn as much as we can. But education itself uh, doesn't change somebody. You just be a smart uh, a, a smart person who's unsaved, a smart person, I guess, humanly speaking, I don't, I don't know if there's any such thing really as a smart person who's unsaved, because if they were smart, they would get saved, right? In fact, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And so somebody who says, I'm too smart to believe in God, they may be too smart to believe in God in their own mind, but God calls that person a fool. Now, you and I can't call him a fool. We're not supposed to call people a fool, but God can. God do whatever he wants to do. 
And God said, the person who doesn't believe in me is a fool. And so education, as important as it is, education has never changed anybody. I'll tell you something else, it won't change a person. Outward conformity. Just doing what everybody else is doing. Just doing the right thing. During the millennium, these people who will be actually unsaved, did you know what? They won't look unsaved. They won't act unsaved. People will just assume that they are saved because outwardly they will be conforming to the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to have perfect peace on the earth. They're not going to be revolting against Jesus while the devil's in that pit. They're going to be conforming and doing whatever it is Jesus tells them to do. But outward conformity, going through the motions, going through the religious ritual, taking the communion, taking the sacrament, if you grew up in a church that teaches of the sacraments, being baptized, going through the outward motions never changed a single soul. God is not interested in outward conformity. God is not interested in going through the motions. Jesus said uh, in in Matthew chapter 15, quoting from the Old Testament, he said to those religious people of his day, he said, Isaiah was right when he talked about you people. He said, you honor me with your lips. But your heart is far from me. What would Jesus say in a setting like ours today? In any, any Christian church, if he, if he had that same bone to pick with us, he would say, I was in the service. I was watching you sing the songs. I saw you bow your head in prayer. But you're doing it outwardly. You, you've come to church outwardly. You're doing what you're doing because it's what you're supposed to be doing. It is the right, respectable thing to do. But your heart is a thousand miles from here. Your heart's not on me. Your heart's not in my word. Your heart's not in my will for your life. You're just going through the motions. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. I believe Jesus would say that to many of us even today. Outward conformity doesn't change a person. I'll tell you something else. One person can't change another person. During the millennium, I can't stress this strongly enough, you're going to have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, all the prophets, Ezekiel, Daniel, living on this earth, all the apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, all the godly people from all the ages. You would think that these people who are born into the millennium, who, who have, are not saved, would look at the lives of, of, of these great saints of God and that they would get saved, but it doesn't work that way. Why? Because one person cannot change another person. They will be able to look at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the others, and yet just because they see their lives, uh, that, that, won't, that won't change them. And I'll tell you something else. A person can't even change himself. Person can't change himself. Let me give you a scripture. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23. Listen to this question. Can a leopard change its spots? No. A leopard can't change its spots. And God is saying, just as a leopard cannot change its spots, a person cannot change himself or herself. So listen to what I've said. We're talking about today why some people never change. Whatever, there's something in their life and they never change. Why don't they change? Listen, let's just review what I've said. Punishment doesn't change a person. Time doesn't change a person. 
Environment doesn't change a person. Education doesn't change a person. Outward conformity doesn't change a person. One person can't change another person, and a person can't even change himself. And that's why I'm saying many people, most people, never change. Now, write this next one down. Only God can change a person. Only God can change a person. You can't change yourself. And I can't change myself. We can clean up on the outside. We can do better. We can have more willpower and self-control, but there's no real change that has taken place if that's all there is. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. In Psalm 51 and in verse number 10, David said after he had committed adultery and murder, felt awfully about it, convicted, prayed to God, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Only God can change us. David is asking God now to make him new. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, today you have to identify whatever it is in your life that you want changed. And you take that to God and you pray what David prayed. God, change me. Let me give you another scripture. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. God said, I will put a new heart in you. I will put a new spirit in in you. And so that's what God's saying that he will do. And that's our greatest need. It is that we have a new heart, that we be changed from the inside out. So I want to make three statements here today. Here you are, whether it's an addiction, maybe it's something that some people wouldn't even identify as sin. It is sin, but it's it's a more respectable sin. Maybe you say, no, John, for me, it's not an addiction, or for me, it's not bad language, or for me, it's not sporadic church attendance. No, for me, it's, it's not. Th- for me, it's a spirit of worry. For me, it's a spirit of fear. For me, it is a spirit of anxiety. For me, it is uh, it, is this, it is this oppressive, depressing cloud that has landed on me and got me down in the doldrums. And I want that to be changed. Well, let me tell you something. God can change it, but then, let me make three statements. In order to be changed, whatever it is today that you say, I wish this part of me was different. I wish this was different. I wish this part of me was different. I wish I could change in this area. Let me ask, how many of you listening to me today would say, John, while you've been talking about this, I have identified at least one area in my life that I wish was different, that I wish if I could mash a button and say, presto, I wish could be changed. Just raise your hand. Just one here. Hey, that's all of us. Now, if you're sitting next to somebody who didn't raise their hand, I'm really concerned about, about this issue. Now, we all, whether you raise your hand or not, I think most everybody raised their hand, but we all, I can, I don't put up two hands. I say, you know what? Yes, there are some things that I, that I would like, some little quirks I have or things I might tend to worry about. Yes, while God's brought me a long way, I, I have room to improve and I want there to be even further change. So number one, I'm telling you how to be changed. Number one, we have to want to change. And I said that earlier, and I'm saying it again now. We have to want to change. You have, you know, you have to have a hunger. I'm reading just the other day in Psalm 42, and the psalmist said, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's something about having a hunger, having a thirst, having a desire for truth, for change, for godliness, for wholeness, for completeness. If we have that desire, God honors that. God said, you will seek me 
and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I look back on the season in my life, in my college years, in my seminary years, in my young adult years, where I was plagued, troubled about doubting my salvation, and it was my Achilles heel. It caused me great trouble until I got that settled. But I'll say this in my defense. At least when I was struggling, I was struggling. At least when I was unsure, I was seeking. I was reading everything I could read. I was searching God's Word. I was talking to pastors, talking to seminary professors, listening to preaching. I was seeking. I was searching. I was hungry. I was thirsty. And what did God do? God honored that promise. It said, when you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I'll tell you this. I stand before you today by the grace of God, preach to you with a full assurance of my own salvation, And one of the reasons I have that assurance is that God gave me a hunger and a thirst and a desire to reach that place of assurance. I did seek, I did search, and God revealed truth. God honored that search because he knew I was searching with all my heart. And so for you, it may not be assurance of salvation. It may be one of these other things I've mentioned or something I've not thought to mention. But I'm saying to you, if you will be hungry about that, if you will be serious about that, if you will refuse, as it were, to give rest to your eyes until you get that matter resolved, God will honor that search and you can be set free. But you got to have that want to. Number two thing, first, we have to want to be changed. Number two, we have to ask to be changed. We have to ask, David, create in me a clean heart, oh God. What was David saying? David was saying the same thing Paul said in the New Testament. I'm convinced that in me, Nothing good dwells, and I'm asking you, God, to change me. I don't need you to take my sinful, vile, wicked heart and tweak it. I need you to take my sinful, vile, wicked heart out and give me a heart transplant and put a new heart in me. And so we have to not only want to be changed, we have to ask. What did Jesus say? You have not Because you ask not. Ask, Jesus said, and you will receive. Seek, he said, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And so we have to ask. Why do we have times of prayer in a service like this? So that you can ask, so that you can pray, and so that you can seek divine intervention. And then number three thing I would say is we have to be willing to be changed. We have to be willing to be changed. In other words, God says, okay, he said to that man in John 5, Pool of Bethesda, paralyzed 38 years, do you want to be made whole? I'm sure that man looked up at Jesus and said, what do I want? Yeah, I want to be made whole. Jesus knew after asking that, well, Jesus knew before he asked the question, he just wanted to hear that man deal with this issue. Jesus said to that man, take up your mat and walk out of here. So what was that man doing? He was willing to do whatever it was that Jesus Ask him to do. And in that case, he asked him to take up his mat and walk. And so as you think about that area in your life, worry, doubt, fear, addiction, whatever, you say, I want this to be changed. I don't want to take this into the, into the rest of my life. Friend, I believe with all my heart, one of the reasons God has allowed this pandemic on the earth is so that we can deal with things that we may never have dealt with had the pandemic not come on the earth. We were in staff meeting the other day, and I made the statement to the staff, and I, I've thought this since the pandemic began. I said, you know, 
I know we at the church, just like everybody else, we want things to get back to normal. That's what everybody's saying. I want it to get back to normal. I want to be able to get back to normal. Get back. And I think we all know what we mean when we say that. But I've thought that through. You know what? While you and I may want things to get back to normal, God doesn't want things to get back to normal. Do you think God would have allowed the world to have been affected and to a large extent infected by a virus if his only intention was so we could get back to normal? I mean, we were already normal before it happened, right? I mean, you think God is going to let the world go through this so we can get back to where we were before we started? No. God is saying, that was your normal. This is the interruption. And what I'm wanting to do during the interruption is to get you to a new normal, a better normal, so you will be a new person and you won't carry with you some of the junk that you had back before this thing happened to the earth. And so today I'm asking you this, do you want to change? Are you willing to ask God to change you? And number three, are you willing to change? Because if you are, let's go back to the very first statement I made this sermon. People don't change. You know what? I stand by that statement. From a biblical perspective, people don't change. How would you say it biblically, John? Here's how I would say it. People change get changed. People are changed. If people could change, we won't even need God. Just go out and change. But we do need God. We can't change, and we need Him to change us from the inside out. And so, Father, today, I think about the devil here, and Lord, we think about after a thousand years in a pit, when he got out, he was the same rascal he was before he went in, doing the same old thing. And God, he never did change. And as a result, he's going to end up in hell forever because he never wanted to change. Even today, the devil has no desire to worship you. He's certainly not going to ask to be changed. He's not willing to be changed. But God, we are. God, we don't want to be like the devil. We want to be be different people. And I'm asking you today to change us. From the inside out. Now, virtually every person in this room, when I said, how many of you have one thing you would like to see change? Most all of you raised your hand. Right now, ask God to change that thing about you. God, change this. This smart aleck way I have. This sarcasm I have. This bitter spirit that I have. This holier than thou, me thinking I'm somehow better than everybody. God, change that. God, this addiction to alcohol. God, this addiction to cocaine, this addiction, God, to heroin, this, this addi- God, this addiction, this pornography that I'm struggling, God, this gambling problem. God, this obsession with what does everybody think about me that's made me insecure, It's made me compromise my convictions just to try to be with a cool crowd. Let me tell you what, they're not cool. They may think they're cool. They may have you thinking they're cool. God doesn't call them cool, not if they're not going his way. Some today are like I was. You say, John, I'll tell you what I wish I could change. I wish I could know for sure that I am saved. You can. And you don't have to struggle with it as long as I do, because I can tell you in a sentence or two 
what I was slow processing in my own mind, and that is this. If you will ask Jesus to save you, and then if you will trust him to do it, you will be saved. And if you'll trust him, you'll be sure that you're saved. Pray this prayer. If you want to know for sure, pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I struggle and struggle. I wonder and wonder, but I want to know that I'm saved. I ask you now to come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please share your decision with us by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. We hope that today's message has been a blessing to you. You can find this message along with many others on our website, peacebybelieving.org, under the broadcast tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.